Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So, Amy, I want to welcome everybody. I want to welcome everyone from wherever you're worshiping from. And I'm delighted to be back with you guys. So I did something uh, last week that I think I've only done once or twice uh, in all 33 years of ministry. I took a personal day on a Sunday. That sounds like a little, man, yeah. Uh, we had some heavy leadership stuff. I was working our way through here and then... Um, to be honest, uh, I did two very difficult funerals uh, on a Friday, and I was just out of gas. Anybody ever just, you just run out of gas. And I did a funeral for, for a friend in our church. Uh, his name is Josh Soto, and uh, Josh is a dear partner in our church, lost his battle of pancreatic cancer. And then I had a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Tim Wilcox, and some of y'all uh, may remember him. He was in our church. I did some mentoring uh, in his life earlier uh, in his ministry, he was navigating becoming a pastor. He was my uh, older daughter's softball coach, and uh, he died of COVID. And, um, and so I, I literally uh, went to one funeral and drove from one funeral to the next and did that. And I was just, I was out of gas. And uh, so it took a weekend off. I know there's a myth out there that pastors are uh, faster than speeding bullets, and, you know, more, uh, what is it, more powerful than locomotive, able to lead building. You know, that's not true. And uh, I've always tried to lead out of my humanity. And uh, I just am grateful for a place that where we can all be authentic together. That's really where I was. So while you guys were here worshiping last weekend, water is restorative for me. This is where I was. So I'm going to show you. That's where I just went up by myself. Now, I want to pull that picture down because if I ever go up there again, I don't want you following me up there. This is not for anybody else, just for me, but anyhow. So uh, yeah, grab your notes. We are in uh, week two of a series. We're calling the series, of course, I Am Community of Hope. Say it with me. I am Community of Hope. That was actually very robust. Let's say it one more time, though. I am Community of Hope. And we're talking about, uh, in this series, here's the idea that's underlying it. Um, what is distinctive about our church? What's important that I would want everybody to know about our fellowship? Uh, we began uh, this experiment in church planting in the summer of 1996. We started with eight people uh, in our living room. We've grown a bit since then. And so this is my opportunity to talk to you about what are some of the characteristics that are important to our church. And I was thinking about this. How many of y'all remember the day, was it Wendy's, that Wendy's like showing the beef? How many of y'all remember that? So we have that. We got Papa John's has the shakaroni, right? Chick-fil-A has the original chicken sandwich. I said that at nine and somebody went, amen. Like it was Jesus chicken, you know, kind of a thing. And um, I think uh, Starbucks has the pike roast. What does Community of Hope have? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Right now. So um, here's the thing I want to say. Um, we have a lot in common with all kinds of Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches and people that follow Jesus. But what are the distinctives? What, what is the secret sauce? What makes our church 
a little different. And, and so this is my opportunity to talk about this. And I was thinking uh, last week or so, this is important because uh, I want everybody who's new to our fellowship, and here's the weird thing. Here we are, still yet in a global pandemic, and here's what I want you to know. We're growing. Our church is still growing in a global pandemic, which is crazy. So I know not everybody's back in worship yet, but I'll tell you this. When we get on the other side of the pandemic, and hey, everybody, we're going to get on the other side of the pandemic. Yeah. Woo. I don't know whether that's you know a couple months from now, 10 years from now, I don't know. We're going to get on the other side of it, and I think these rooms are going to fill up again. But I, I want everybody who's new to our fellowship to know what is distinctive about our church, and I want those who are the seasoned vets in the room to remember, because here's what I believe. Vision leaks, and I've been learning some of that even recently. Vision leaks, so this is important that we're talking about this. Now, if you were with us um, last week, uh, Trevor started the series, uh, and he preached around one of the most universally recognized statements Jesus ever made. It's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And here's what biblical theology teaches us. For those of the, that are new to this, biblical theology teaches us that, that one of the final things Jesus said on the face of the earth before he left the earth in bodily form and left his Holy Spirit for us is he gave us the Great Commission. For everybody who is a follower of Jesus, he said, here's the mandate. Here's the idea. This is what we want to go after. And I want to show it, show it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so that is, that is the great commission. For everybody who says yes to Jesus, like that's our, that's our rallying call. And so what I want you to know as I walk you through this is, is we get the mission statement of our church actually from that statement. And, uh, uh, and the mission of our church, we ask every partner to commit it to memory. So lots of us have it committed to memory. And if you don't, I'm going to give you a little cheat sheet. We'll put it on the screen behind us. And we're going to say the Community of Hope mission. I want us to say it out loud with all kinds of gusto. Ready? Go. Community of Hope exists to disinterested people in Jesus Christ and grow together into fully devoted followers of him. Now, what I'm talking about in this series is the front half of this mission. Community of hope existed, interest, disinterested people. Here's the question. What does it mean to interest disinterested people? What does it mean to create a culture, uh, an environment? What does it mean for all of us to work together to interest disinterested people in the gospel? And so this is sort of the question that I, I want us to go at uh, in, in this series. And uh, when I think about it, I think of it this way. This is the universal call, listen to this, to anyone who says yes to Christ, this is the universal call, the kind of call that author and pastor Brendan Manning calls to accept the vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. Well, I don't know of a better phrase to talk about the, the, the grace of Jesus given to you and me. The, the vulgar grace and indiscriminate passion that, that, that God is, is so expansive with, with his grace that he's including people in the kingdom we might not even think should be included in the kingdom. 
And in fact, some of the people right now, when they think about you, you're the one that they think shouldn't be included in the kingdom. That's, that's the vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. Now, here's the idea that I want us to think about together today as a church. It's this. Anyone listening to my voice right now who wants their sins forgiven, not counted eternally against them. Is that anybody? Four of us. Is that anybody? Okay, great. That with the exchange of that, the acceptance of that, is the audacious invitation to tell other people how they too can walk forgiven and free, no longer shackled to the shame and the pain of their sin and their brokenness. Now, here's what I'm, here's what I'm aiming at. Too often, too often, I think, people, we, we accept one and we leave the other undone. And what I want to do, what I want to do for just a few moments today, what would happen if a church came together and we banded together about those ideas. That we all want in on the vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. We all want in on that. But then we become people who enlist in the army to tell others about it too. This is the challenge. This is the thing. And so this morning, I want to I read to you or have us read together maybe one of the most compelling verses... I have ever read as a follower of Jesus. It stuck out to me the first time I read it. I've never gotten over it. I hope I never get over it. I've come to believe that it has done more to shape my understanding as a pastor and as a follower of Christ, what it means to be a follower of Jesus on the planet than any other verse. And if you know me, I don't give into a lot of hyperbole often, if at all. And here's what I want to tell you. First of all, it's obscure. Second of all, it's, it's, it's maybe not even a whole verse. It's like a part of a verse. But the first time I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, it just warmed my heart. And it's a little observation that Paul makes um, right at the top end of chapter 2 in the book of Romans that we're going to learn about in just a moment. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and here here it is. He's already talking, and so the verse even begins in, in kind of a disjointed way. He says, or, he's talking about the judgment of God and the kindness of God, and he says, or... Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Do you show contempt for his forbearance? Would you show contempt for his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Let's think about that for just a moment. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Now, for those of you that may care to know, I, I, really, I, I think we can't really understand it until I give you a little context to help you. So Paul is writing the book of Romans. It is the apostles' signature work. It towers above all the other letters, all the other epistles, all the other things he wrote, both in scale and scope, and he, that he writes in the New Testament. In many ways, scholars refer to it as this. It's his grand opus. It's like, here it is. And Paul is writing, and one of the beautiful ways that he writes, he writes not only as a seasoned scholar, but as a satisfied student. He writes not just as a passionate passionate conveyor of the Christian message, but as a certified customer, one whose own life has been transformed by the grace of Jesus. And then then he gets to this verse. Now, here's what I want you to know. He starts off, and of course, Romans 1. In Romans 1, I just want to be honest with you all, he comes out of the gate hard. 
If you have not, if you've not read, ever read Romans chapter one, do yourself a favor this afternoon. Get, get a cup of coffee, get a stiff, get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Sit down, open to Romans chapter one. The reason I would even say that is, is read it for yourself, but don't read it without a, without a seatbelt. Because I'm going to tell you what, he, he doesn't take any prisoners. And he comes out hard. He is, he is naming all this stuff that offends God. And I got to tell you something. I, I just want to tell you, in fact, I still remember the first time I read Romans 1. And to be candid, little and delicate, scared the crud out of me. And, and because I was biblically illiterate and because I was emotionally immature, here's what I did. And we're all guilty of this. I started cherry-picking what he was talking about in Romans 1. If it didn't identify with me, I, I would give myself a pass. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. That's what we do. And I started ignoring the stuff that was staring right off the page. This is, we're all, we're all, we're all susceptible to that kind of infection. I think sometimes the church even creates it. In fact, I was thinking about this. I remember, I think I even remember when I first learned how to do this. It's kind of a weird story. When I was growing up, uh, my, when we lived in Tampa, uh, my neighbor to, like if you're looking at our house to the right, she, she did a backyard Bible club. And uh, she would invite the kids of the neighborhood over. She would tell Bible stories. And she would serve, I, here's what I remember, she served really good cookies. So I was in on that. And, and I'll never forget, and I went over there one afternoon, all my friends, you know, we took a break. My mom says, you're going to go over there. I don't really want to go. You're going over there. And I get over there, and she had, she had two boxes shaped like human hearts. One box was red, with the idea being, you know, though your sins be crimson, red like crimson. The other box was white. So, you know, God will, you know, uh, forgive your sins. And, and at one particular point, I'll never forget that. So remember, just like it was yesterday, this woman, she opened up the red heart, and she started pulling out all these things. At first... I was, I was cherry-picking through the list. She pulled out, you know, robbing banks. I went, oh, never done that. Stealing cars, never done that. And then she started getting some other stuff. Telling a fib. I was like, ugh. Uh, sassing. I remember this specifically. Sassing your parents. That's what she said. Sassing your parents. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> and, and then this is a little, I'm just going to share this. It's kind of funny. And then she reached down into the, into the red heart, and she pulled out a pack of cigarettes. And when she pulled out the pack of cigarettes, I recognized them. They were the exact cigarettes my dad smoked. What I learned later is she had actually borrowed those from my dad. And what I learned later is after it was over, my dad came over to get them back. You can't make this up. And I'm cherry-picking my way through all of this. And that's what I did with Romans 1. I was like, me, not me, not me. But then I grew up a little bit, right? Like we should all grow up. And I started reading Romans 1 in a more inclusive way. And you know what I discovered? Everybody's a sinner. No one's not included at that party. And you get over to Romans 3, and he says, all have sinned. So here's what Paul is going through this list. Get to Romans 3. All have sinned. And I learned, I grew up a little bit to, you know, I don't want to be unincluded. Lord, that's me. But here's, here's my point for today. So in chapter 1, he's just, man, it's like 
solid heat. Chapter 3, all of sin. But right there in chapter 2, he starts talking about the grace of Jesus. He starts talking about his mercy. He starts talking about God's kindness as the real agent to change. I mean, it's like when we get a picture of Jesus on the cross and we recognize that that's connected to mercy. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. I think something in the human heart begins to kind of break open. And we become receivers, right? Of this vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion. And, and when I read that, here's, here's kind of what I think. I, I think it could be one of the characteristic or, or the distinguishable characteristics of our church. I mean, what, what if? So what, what, if, what if this actually isn't church? What if, what if this is like a half-time pep talk and we're all on the same team together to be people who spread all over our community and our world the vulgar grace and the indiscriminate compassion of Jesus Christ. I think that is a characteristic of Community of Hope. And, and years ago when we began this experiment, eight people in our living room, I remember when we started actually, we, we held a barbecue, we invited uh, all the people that you know, we're not in church that we met and said, you know, would you like to be part of a church? Yeah, I'd like to be a part of a church. Where does it meet? I don't know. How many people attend? I don't know. You know, once you get past that, people are going, it's a cult. You know, and we started with 18 and I had a barbecue and then I learned later on they came because it was free barbecue. And then the next week we went from 18 to nine and I told Beth, I said, we're on fire, baby. You know? Um, this was the dream we had. What if, what if we all partnered together? What if, we all, what if we all got in on this idea? And I, I think if we're ever really going to get into it, we have to answer a couple of questions. I, I think there are a couple of questions that we, that we need to keep real in the room, and we ought to probably always keep them before us. In other words, we should never forget what I want us to talk about in these next few moments. So like it, it becomes you know, part of the DNA of Community of Hope. We just sort of all once again go, okay, this is it. Three, two, one, boom. This is, this is the deal. I think there are two things we have to answer. The first one is this. Really, the question I think is, how is it that we build a culture of kindness in our church for the sake of the gospel? How do we build a culture of kindness in our church for the sake of the gospel? Whenever I talk about this kind of idea, I, I, think of, I think of some things maybe you're aware of. Um, when I think of Palm Beach County, this is typically what I think of. Palm Beach County, almost 1,500,000 people, million and a half people. One in 11 can identify uh, a community of worship they are connected to, including Jewish friends of whom we would say need the gospel just as much as we do. Uh, community of Hope situated in southeast Florida, which is typically northeastern in both view and atmosphere. Outside of Miami, the farther you drive, the further north you go. Right? 
So here we are, here we are embedded in this. And what if, what if we said, what if we all said together that whenever God is looking to get some of his work done in Southeast Florida, in Palm Beach County, God is going to look at Community of Hope. Why? Because we are answering again and again and again and again and again. The important question, how do we create a culture of kindness for the sake of the gospel in Jesus' name? And it's not just kindness to be kind. It's kindness with a purpose. It's kindness with with Jesus Christ attached to it. This is an important question, I think, especially today when you talk about all of the societal issues going on. A global pandemic, human sexuality, racial tensions, economic fragility, political mistrust, leader abuse. This is an awesome time to be alive. (laughs) This is so important. Because I believe... um, Ever increasingly so, the church has fallen out of tune, out of date. It has become woefully ineffective, reaching the yet unreached people in our town for whom Christ has died. And if it isn't difficult enough, this is something that we're thinking about, especially in these days. Now, whenever I talk about this, this is what I want to say to you, maybe for the first time or remind you. Years ago, when Beth and I were visioning our church, um, I just came up with this idea, thought of it all on my own, just sort of came up with this idea one day. I said, you know, I think broadly speaking, you can put churches in two categories. One category is they are a museum for saints, like a museum for perfect people. I'll show you a picture of a museum. This is when I think about a museum. This is what I think of. Museums, uh, we've, most of us have been to one. They're relatively quiet. People observe things. Occasionally, they nod their heads as though they understand. They make a few comments to one another. They follow the pamphlet through the experience and eventually exit the back door and they go get lunch. Come on, y'all. That's a museum. Okay? They're pretty artificial. The other idea I told my sweet wife, I said, is, is what if our church wasn't a museum? What if it's a hospital? What if it's a hospital for sinners? And she looked at me and she said, well, you're a sinner, so that would be good. (laughs) And when I think about hospitals, right? Here's a hospital. Hospitals are full contact. They're messy. It's life or death. People aren't looking for an experience. They want help. They're looking for answers. They enter for specific reasons and they want to walk out better than they came in. That's a hospital. What if we kind of became a spiritual hospital? And here's what I would tell you. That's messy work. It's not easy. I get why some churches don't do it. But this is important. And I I think this is especially important to us because a lot of times in our world, our friends don't know what we're doing in here. You have friends, you have relatives. They don't know what you do in here on a Sunday morning. They think you gather, we look at religious artifacts. We say a few things and leave. They don't know. And and, and maybe it's bad enough that it doesn't make sense. But for many in our world today, the church has been a place of hurt. It's true. I was thinking, um, how many of y'all remember, follow my brain here, how many of y'all remember there was a, there was a series of movies when I was growing up, it was, they were called the Pink Panther movies. How many of y'all remember Pink Panther? Okay. Who was the main character in Pink Panther? Inspector Clouseau. 
I was say, preaching this at 9 o'clock, and somebody said, Jacques Cousteau. I was like, not Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> like, that's like Inspector Clouseau. Spoke for, and there's this, there's this perfect part in, in one of the movies. I don't even remember when it was. And Inspector Clouseau, he's, he's trying to solve the crime. And he's walking through a park, and there's this lady with a dog. I don't know if you remember this. And he goes up to the lady. He goes, pardon me, ma'am. Does your dog bite? <laughs> And, he, and she looks at him and she goes, no, my, my dog does not bite. And he reaches down to pet the dog and dog just like rips his arm off. And he goes, I, I thought you said your dog does not bite. And she goes, it's, it's not my dog. <laughs> remember years ago, a year ago, I, I, I got on a plane. I was flying. Some of you remember this. I was flying to Asbury Seminary for some trustee meetings and and I had a very similar experience. This lady gets on the plane with this little dog. And the dog, you know, it says, it's like wearing a sweater. It says joy. And the stewardess comes over and goes, oh, what a cute dog. And she reaches out to touch the dog. And the dog, like, leapt at her face. And when the lady wasn't looking, I took a picture of the dog. That's the dog right there. Dog from Satan right there. And here's what I want to tell you. A lot, a lot of people, here's what I want you to know. When they think about the church, I mean, it just has become a place of misunderstanding. It's become a place of, of pain. That's not Jesus' intent. So how do we become a culture, a build together a culture of kindness for the sake of the gospel? In Matthew chapter 11, one of the most provocative things ever said about the God you just worshipped is that he is a friend of sinners. And you know what makes me sad sometimes? I don't know if unchurched pre-Christian people believe that anymore. Because they look at the church sometimes and here's what they say, oh, I get it. Those people... They're not friends of sinners. And it should break our heart. Because we have experienced the vulgar grace and the indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. And I got to tell you, a church, a church that begins to work together and say over and over again in every place and everywhere, every, every time we can, we're, we're just... We're just going to create a culture of kindness because it's the kindness of God, Paul said, that leads people to repentance. And what is repentance? Getting honest with God. It's, t- it's coming to the place where you can acknowledge before God, listen, what he already knows about you. That's what it means. Honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with others. How about it? I mean, how about it? What if, what if in your workplace, it wasn't just about your work. It was you manifesting kindness in Jesus' name so that people can experience the vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion. What if in your school, it's not just school. It's a mission field where you get to get in on Manifesting kindness in a way that moves people toward the vulgar grace and the indiscriminate compassion of Jesus. I mean, what, what if it? What of it? Here's the other question. 
How do we never forget to embrace God's kindness in Christ revealed to us? See, I think you can't have one without the other. I think you can't. I, I think if we're going to have the other, if we're going to do the other, the only way through it is to recognize we're receivers of that same grace. And we never forget. You know what? You know what's, you know what's really powerful right now in our culture? It's sad to say, but this is super powerful in our culture right now. We have some areas where we go, we will never forget. We'll never forget. I mean, aren't we in a weekend? What have we been saying all weekend? We'll never forget that. I mean, we're Americans. And I'll tell you this. We're Americans, and Americans, we walk with a limp. Because we got some stuff we will never forget. 2,977 people, 19 hijackers, 6,000 injured, 340 are front firefighters and frontline workers. We will never forget that. I'm proud to say that. But I, I, what, if I, what if I took that concept, y'all, and I just moved it over into the spiritual world? And what if, what if we said of the mission of Jesus, we'll never forget that. We'll never forget a sinless Savior on a Roman cross, naked and bleeding for my brokenness and shame. I'll never forget that. One of my favorite books, one of my heroes in the ministry is a guy by the name of Gary Hagen. I want to show you Gary. Uh, this is a great man of God. Uh, he a, was a, a successful lawyer, uh, left a law career because God, after God ex, uh, manifested, you know, uh, indiscriminate, uh, vulgar grace and indiscriminate compassion to him, he left the legal field and began to travel the world to pull people out of human trafficking. And uh, he wrote a book that you saw. You can put it back up there if you can, team, called Just Courage. It's a fantastic book. Uh, I commend it to you. And, and Gary tells this incredible story. He said when he was young, he begins this book by right, telling a story of when he was young, his, his dad got his brothers and him and said, we're going to hike up. We're going to go up to the mountain. They lived in a mountainous area. And so we're going to go up to the mountain and we're going to take a hike. Gary was just a young little boy and he, and, and he was nervous about going. And so all week long, he, he just ebbed just above going, and yeah, I'll go, and then just below, I don't want to go. And so they get up on Saturday morning. He, he throws everybody in the car. Dad drives up to the mountain site, and he said, we're going we're gonna to hike the mountain. And Gary, Gary got nervous. And as a little boy, he said, Dad, I don't want to do it. He said, Gary, it's going to be fine. Your brothers are with you. We're, we can do this. Said, I, I don't want to do it. I'm just nervous. I'm afraid. I don't want to do it. And there came that moment there in the visitor center, and, and his dad just said, I mean, Gary, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. We're either going to do, do this, or you're going to spend all day in the, in the visitor center. And, and Gary, just the fear got the better of him. He said, Dad, I'm not going to do it. And his father said, okay, you wait here. I'm taking your brothers. We're going. And Gary said, I, I watched out the visitor center as Dad went down the trail 
went up past the tree line, disappeared with his brothers. They were gone all day. And he said, I I went around, I watched the movie a hundred times, I read all the stuff about all the animals, and I just waited, and finally at the end of the day, as the sun is starting to set over on the mountains, he said, I look up at the tree line, here comes my brothers and my dad. So they eventually got, get back to the visitor center, pick me up, put me in the car while driving home. And as we're driving home, he said, they're, they're talking about the day on the trail. And they're having this incredible experience. They're reminiscing about all this. And he said, I caught myself at one particular moment talking and contributing to the experience. They would talk about something and I would laugh and I'd say something. And after a moment or two, he said, the car got really quiet. Because we all realized in that moment, I had begun to identify with an experience I'd never had. We're, We're always susceptible to that in the church. You can come in here, turn your brain off, turn your heart off, be unmoved, go out and identify with an experience you've never had. May that never happen here. If we're ever going to be on mission as a church, you know what it is? It's people who've experienced, you know, the vulgar grace and the indiscriminate compassion now manifesting that to other people. I mean, at the end of the day, right? We're, We're all just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. May that always be our mission. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, this is where it starts. Let today be the day. Lord, I need your vulgar grace. I need your indiscriminate compassion. Manifest to me and he'll do it. And then he'll enlist you in the army of those to carry out the deal. God, this is such a moment for us. May we never fail to recognize that if we're going to have any impact in our city, any impact in our community, any impact in our world whatsoever, God, it it all begins personally with us looking at what you've accomplished on a cross, saying yes, identifying with it, reconciling that in our mind and heart, and leaving here enlisted in the core to make a difference for others. Help us, oh God. This is the way church is designed to work. Amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. He's so good. You're so good. You know, God, would you lay on us, would you lay on us the burden? Would you give us the burden that we would be your people in Palm Beach County? Now, Lord, we're not saying that exclusively like there aren't other great churches. We're not saying that, but we are saying this, Lord. Let us accept our responsibility. Let us do our part. Let us get in the game. Because people all around us, Lord, are dealing with so such high levels of anxiety and doubt and disease and chaos and madness. God, you're the God of peace. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of all grace. 
And so, Lord, would you remind us just as we're receiving that we would be conduits of that to other people, that we would band together as a church to go on a search because you'd leave 99 to go get one. Can we do the same? Would you help us? This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Go in his grace and his mercy. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.